Hey there. Ever feel like you just need a break from the day-to-day of work, put on that out of office and be alongside peers learning from fellow nonprofits and industry experts on what they see working when it comes to fundraising, marketing, growing a monthly giving program, retention, everything that encompasses what you do? Well, if so, I have two events for you to mark down. June 4th and 5th is Donor Perfect's Community Conference Spark. It is for any fundraiser wanting to excel in donor management, program innovation, community engagement, and organizational growth, and it is free. So click the link in the show notes to register. And then an event that I have attended three years in a row is the NEO Summit, combining practical, actionable, and very data-informed content with also this really electric and immersive atmosphere. The NEO Summit is more than just a conference. It is a really fun and great place to get away from your desk and innovate your fundraising and accelerate your impact. So you can join hundreds of your fellow nonprofit professionals in Indianapolis in September on the 18th and 19th. And you can save $600 on your ticket right here. It is the lowest price available anywhere. So click the link in the show notes for both of these events. They are incredible. They put on an incredible speaker presentation, all tons of great resources for you. Invest in yourself and the growth of your organization by attending these two phenomenal events. I have seen a really good cadence of like three emails over eight days. And what you're trying to do in a welcome sequence is not only introduce your organization and your values and all these things, but you're also trying to get them to open and click. And so some of the things that I do is like a very welcoming, get to know us, or maybe it's the origin story type of a message. This is how we were founded, or this is how I became the founder, whatever the story is. Put it out there. And if they want to raise their hand and join, like, great. Hey there, you're listening to the Missions to Movements podcast, and I'm your host, Dana Snyder, digital strategist for nonprofits and founder and CEO of Positive Equation. This show highlights the digital strategies of organizations making a positive impact in the world. Ready to learn the latest trends, actionable tips, and the real stories from behind the feed? Let's transform your mission into a movement. Welcome back, everybody. This is going to be awesome because I am here with the out in the bones queen, and it is Jess Kimball here. Hey, Jess. Hi. What an <laughs> introduction. Some like batons and some or like. I feel like pom-pom. I'm a part of a circus or something. I'm going to come out and perform. <laughs> That's right. Well, we're talking about email marketing, which is kind of all about performance. So it's totally. kind of perfect. Speaking of, in Q4, I'm just going to go right into it. Let's you it. were super busy yeah, working on helping produce nine campaigns, yes. which equaled writing nearly 400 emails. Yes. I'm just going to like let that sit, listener. 400 emails. Yes. That's a lot. In less than four so months. So there with that comes a ton of learnings. And I want to kick off the conversation like listener if you're only like a couple minutes in and if this is the one thing that you walk away with from this conversation what is one thing that the person with their headphones in driving in the car needs to know that would transform their email marketing strategy 
the one thing that people need to know is that you're probably not emailing enough. Ooh, y'all, she literally pulled her microphone closer to her when she said that. (laughs) Yes. No one is emailing their list enough, period. I think that's so true because I get three, four, sometimes emails a week from the same person and I still don't unsubscribe. No. I still keep them on there. No. What do you see as the norm, like once a month? So I know your audience is a little bit of nonprofits, a little bit of just people in the social impact space. I would say for nonprofits, the norm teeters between one and two emails a month. And for people with any kind of either personal brand or just like, I think they strive for one a week, but people are not consistent. And I'll just tell you, I'm aiming for three emails a week for each of my different audiences, which amounts to like six different emails for just my personal business on a week. And that's not including launches. That's just the nurture phase. Yeah. Yeah. I'm at usually two per week. Good. I have like a weekly newsletter that goes out, right? That's sharing kind of podcasts and like updates. And then there's usually something that's very specific. That's more of just like a copy only style. Yeah. I think that's good. I mean, think about it. You know, I always joke that Bed Bath and Beyond emails me no less than once, twice, three times a day. And do I ever unsubscribe for their message? Heck no, because you never know. I might need that coupon <laughs> to the store I that I think is about to go bankrupt. Same with like Anthropology, Target. Like they're in your inbox so frequently that you just expect them to be there. And unlike those big box stores, when you write really great, entertaining stories that deliver a really fun message, people have invited you into their inbox. So it's like this sacred space that's totally yeah. different than social media where people just start catching you as they scroll by. This is a more intimate space where people really read your words and the message that you're trying to deliver. And not only do those organizations usually email you, but they're also usually texting you. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it can be double whammy, but then still I am buying their products because of all of the noise. Sometimes I need that extra little gesture, that extra little prompt. Yes. So for us mission do-gooders making change in the world, do not think I love that. You probably aren't doing it enough, but I will caveat to say, and you probably agree with this, don't just send out an email just to think that you need to send out another email. Like there should be purpose and there should be, like you're saying, story. There should be call to action. Something a greater message to the reason for sending it out. Yeah. I mean, people can smell stinky messages from far (laughs) away, right? And so I think you need to be thoughtful about what it is you're communicating. But I know for me, there's certain people that I follow just because their emails are so good. I either get entertained, I get a laugh out of it, I get a message, I learn something from it. Sometimes it serves as a reminder for the podcast I need to go listen to or the blog plus I want to read or the thing I'm trying to buy. I think that nonprofits specifically are so worried about annoying people. It's this real thing that like is happening. And I just know from proof that the more I email my list, the higher the open rates, the more clicks I get. And frankly, like the more things that people buy. And I've seen that from my clients too. So what was a past sequence for say like end of year campaign season, it would be around like five or six emails that would go out from giving Tuesday through December 31st. And this year we doubled 
or tripled that amount, depending on the email list and the nonprofit size. And yeah, every single one of them hit their goals and beyond. Every single one of them saw their open rates and clicks rates go up. And it was also kind of this nice way to clean their list because mm-hmm. the people that didn't want to mm-hmm. be there just self-selected. And so yes. now they have like a healthier list than they ever have before. Yes. And I have such a great little like hack for that. This was in my, one of my like favorite things list. I don't know if you use something similar, but it's called clean 13 with like a K I'll put it in the show notes and I upload my email list and it can pull out for you emails that might be bots, people that might be more spammy, that might be dropping your open rate or more likely to report you as spam if they're like body. And then therefore that makes you enter people's spam boxes more. Totally. So I do that occasionally. It's always interesting to like go through and clean that up. Okay, now let's back up a bit. I know I just dived into your brilliance of email marketing. <laughs> this knowledge doesn't come from anywhere and certainly not for lack of experience. Paint the picture for us. Like, How did you get to where you are now as the founder of Out in the Boons? So many moons ago, I fell into the nonprofit sector like so many of us do. And I was working on the program side of an organization that was a startup. So I had my hands in just a little bit of everything. And I remember one day turning to my boss's husband and saying, gosh, I would really love to start my day where I'm not breaking a sweat as I'm like (laughs) hawking loads of car seats and diapers into the back of a moving truck. And he was like, I think you picked the wrong job. And so when I say I did it all, like I did it all. And I'm not great at turning it off. So working on the program side of things was unhealthy for me. Frankly, I just was unable to not connect with families past 6 p.m. or on weekends and I would get calls. And so I kind of was like, if I'm going to do this for the long haul, I need to go to the other side of nonprofits, which is fundraising and marketing. And I found out that I was good at it. And that led to a career for over 10 years working for huge organizations like Human Rights Watch. That is a machine raising hundreds of millions of dollars a year to itty bitty, teeny tiny startups. And then, as you will soon know, I had a baby and everything in my world turned upside down. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to want to get away from this kid. I'm going to be so looking forward to adult conversation. And I just had a slap in the face moment where I felt like my arm was being ripped off of my body by leaving her. And I just, the days of starting my morning with a coffee meeting and ending with dinner and drinks was just no longer a fit for my lifestyle. And so after taking a break, I started one by one, just picking up little consulting jobs. And it was then that I really got an inside look at to so many nonprofit fundraisers specifically who were all on their own, off on an island, or as my business is called, out in the boons. And I just never wanted someone to feel like that. Like they had no one to turn to. And that's when I pivoted to doing a little bit more education, not just done. I love knowing the name reason for your company now. I never knew the origin story. That's cool. Yeah. And it's been super fun. It's been about six years this spring. And I love working with organizations on all things, but my talent is really about bringing words to convert people to into donors. 
And it's taken me a long time to get that specific at what I like to do and what I'm best and fastest at since I have been a generalist in the fundraising space. But as I move forward, that's really, I think, my gift. So good. I think that's so interesting. We are on parallel. I started my business. I filed for the EIN number in March of 2017. So we're very close. And I think I launched saying I was public. I left my full-time corporate job in April of 2017. Nice. We are twins. Very, very similar past. And I agree. It's very hard to... I think we go into businesses. I think also a solo founder or fundraiser is very similar to a solo entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Because you are. You are an entrepreneur and starting a nonprofit. And so I think we try and be the genius of everything to attract all the people. But just like what you said, niching down is so important. And with that, I did not realize the value of email for... powerful, right? Like a few years into my business. Yeah, it's wild the difference that it creates. And it is certainly not dead. I know that gets thrown around a lot. I buy things weekly from emails that I subscribe to. Y'all, weekly. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes daily. <laughs> let's, let's be real. Okay. We talked about frequency. I kind of want to like just go down the line with you on the nuts and the bolts of emails. So frequency, we need to do more of, way more of, and be thoughtful about. Let's talk about something that I see so much in the nonprofit space. Yes, in the for-profit space too, but email subject lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see a lot of January newsletter or things that are just like very vague. How have you found success tweaking these and coming up with creative subject lines? Yes. So I have a real belief that you have to test because I have some clients that say, when I started using January newsletter, my open rates and click rates increased above 60, 70%. And so it's like, okay, if that's you, you do you. Like there's not a one size fits all model. I keep a spreadsheet of every single email that I send, the day I send it, the click rate, the open rate. And what I notice in mine is a four to six word subject line with an emoji has the best open rates. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily click rates. So you have to also think about what is your intention. Some of my emails, my goal is to get them open. Some of them, it's to get them clicked. Some of it's both, but you have to test. And I've tested everything from using the word you in the subject line to using an emoji first and an emoji last. I've tried really long subject lines, like seven, eight, nine words. I've tried using numbers in there. And so you have to play around with it. But as a consistent kind of formula, the best has been a four to six word subject line, probably a question with a question mark with an emoji. That's what works best for my audience. Yeah, that's a really good point that you have to test dependent upon, and it could be different based on the segment. And I think this is something else is personalization so key. Mm-hmm. So knowing how people found you, it's interesting, the subject lines, I think I did that in 2021, but I haven't done a refresh of 2022, but it was similar. I was testing the emoji thing too. And it depends on the emoji. It depends on in the world of teaching digital, it's a lot of copy this strategy or this will get you X result kind of thing tended to work really well. 
But I always try and pay attention to the segments that I'm sending it to. And I know you're really good at this too, because how somebody found me might dictate what is going to work best for them. So when we look at personalization of in emails and segmentation, where's a good starting point? If someone's like, I just literally have X number of email addresses in one container. Yeah, I have a couple of favorites. So let's say you have like a thousand people on your email list, a nice round number, and you're kind of feeling like they're all meshed into one pot and you want to know who's an executive director or you want to know who's a donor or you want to know who's a dog lover, who knows, whatever. Some of my favorite ways is to do a story where then you ask a question and then you say hit reply with A, B, C, or D, or you say hit reply with emoji rainbow, emoji sun, emoji cloud, emoji happy face. And you'd be surprised when your call to action is hit reply, which will also really increase your deliverability rate, the strength of your email in general, when people reply to your email. So I always encourage it doesn't have to be a button. Your call to action can Mm. be a reply. That's a great way to using, you know, if you use ConvertKit or ActiveCampaign, they can track those link clicks to then become segments. Another thing for personalization that I've been trying and I get people (laughs) replying to me and they're like, I see what you did there is a mid email first name. So everyone is like, Hey Jess or Hey Dana at the top. I've actually been testing, not using a greeting at the top, just launching straight in, but then midway through, or even at the very bottom, it'll be like, so what do you think Jess? And people are like, Oh, I see you. And I see what you did there. That's really (laughs) smart. And so again, you can try using that to do personalization. And then I think it's just being thoughtful. A lot of my emails are the exact same, but the call to actions might be a little bit different depending on how they came to me. So for example, on my email list, I get a lot of nonprofit founders, executive directors, but then I get a lot of just fundraisers or communication people. So I'm talking to them differently and the call to action could be different depending on who I'm speaking to, but the message or the content is the exact same. And so how that could work at a nonprofit is like one-time donors versus your recurring donors or volunteers versus your donor list or never donated before versus your donors. Simple things like that can really make a reader feel seen like, oh, she or he knows who I am. Yeah, so impactful. And I think when we're talking about stats, and we've talked about open rates, Mm click-through rates a lot, when you were running all these campaigns toward the end of the year, what were you seeing that is good? Is there a new standard that we should be looking at as far as open and clicks? So I think the industry average, according to like the benchmark MNR report, was 29% across all all nonprofits. So that's like huge universities and hospitals compared to the itty bitty tiny folks. Most of the clients that I work with have an email list size of 10,000 and below, which I would consider small. So their open rates when I was coming in were at like anywhere from like 21 to 29. So on the below average size, and I had one their Giving Tuesday email, I was shocked, was like 46%. That being said, I have a very strong belief in the warm-up phase before a campaign, which we can totally talk about because that wouldn't have happened if we just 
came out of the blue and started asking for people for money, right. especially on one of the most saturated giving days of the year. Yeah. But we did a lot of work leading up to that with really good content. So it's almost like people were looking forward to opening that email. And I think that's so true. And that goes back to the frequency. If we're only sending out ask or buy or give whatever emails, then what else has happened? Like, what's the impact that's made? I forgot what your organization does. What have you been up to? Like all of those things mm-hmm. that come into play that are like I shared when I got pregnant, right? And like the journey of that happening. And so it lets people into like what is happening with the organization personally mm-hmm. and the people because that's where relationships are built. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at, is there a, I don't know if there's like a template for this, but I know there are, everyone has different welcome sequences of when somebody comes in a certain number of emails before the ask. So I guess we could talk about that first, welcome sequence. So if somebody for the first time joins a newsletter or they download a freebie or a lead magnet, download, what have you, do you have a cadence of a welcome sequence that you think performs well? I have seen a really good cadence of like three emails over eight days. And what you're trying to do in a welcome sequence is not only introduce your organization and your values and all these things, but you're also trying to get them to open and click. And so some of the things that I do is like a very welcoming, get to know us, or maybe it's the origin story type of a message. This is how we were founded, or this is how I became the founder, whatever the story is. And then part two is maybe like, here are a few of my favorite things. And it links to like your top performing blog post or the most watched YouTube video or your reel that popped up. Or like your LinkedIn posts that celebrated a new staff member. Like it's literally a list of bullet points of your favorite things. And then the last one can actually be a call to action. And I think that nonprofits in general wait way too long to make an ask. And so it's like, put it out there. And if they want to raise their hand and join, like, great you know and if not they'll just cycle off it's not like they'll unsubscribe necessarily so like go for it publishing social media content manually is a hassle and having one place to view all of your analytics is truly a game changer for easy reporting and the best part is i have a free option for you Later is the leading visual social media marketing platform for Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and TikTok. So you can plan, you can analyze, and publish content, including Reels, using Later. Two of my favorite features are that you can search for user-generated content with hashtags and know your unique best time to post so you can schedule in batches. There are a bunch of other cool features But again, the best part is there's a free account option. So go ahead and sign up, get your free account, stop doing all the hustle, posting manually, go to try.later.com backslash positive equation. That's try.later.com backslash positive equation. This also leads me back to the personalization of if you have your like lapsed donors, if you can pull in your CRM anybody who's given $100 and less, anybody who's given between 100 and 500, your call to action of a dollar amount can also be different. If you know that it's a one time, then you can ask those people to be recurring and you can even segment that. Like you can get even more granular. And I don't care if there's 50 people in this segment list. Like 
totally. doesn't matter. Like, no, absolutely. The more that you can be personalized, I actually stopped being a monthly donor for an organization because they were sending me all this information that was not relevant to me at all. And I was like, you have to know kind of like a little bit about who I am because I've been giving to you, but there was no reply. There was no survey. There was no tracking the links of which programs was I interested in, which ones weren't. And that's, I think, really important and going to be, I mean, I think it's a trend we're already seeing, but I think it's going to grow even more. I had something even worse if we're having like a confessional right now. (laughs) I was a monthly donor for a really well-known nonprofit and they literally just sent me the same exact email every single month. It was not changed, not even a word. And I remember just being like, this doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel great because I have no idea what my money's doing. And it also just, I mean, I'm a marketer, so like, I can really spot like lazy marketing, which is, you know, means yes, you got to work for it a little bit when it comes to me. But I was just like, really? Not even like a hey instead of hi. Like it was exactly the same. And or the other one I get, please, this would be my number one takeaway. If you're still doing hi supporter Ooh. and I'm a monthly donor, you have my name. Yeah. You definitely have my name. Totally. So make sure to insert that first name automation yeah. and all these things that we're talking about. Listen, if it feels like daunting, these are sequences that you can work on and then they're set up and they're automated and they're done. And then you can go in every once in a while and update them, of course, and change the language. But this is something I definitely recommend investing your time into. And if your platform, you talked about a couple of them, ConvertKit, ActiveCampaign. I know you and I both use Flowdesk. Mm -hmm. If you're not thrilled with your email tool, look into other ones. Is there any other ones that you recommend? I mean, a lot of people in the nonprofit space use MailChimp. I did too when I started. When I first started my business, I always joke, I spent 48 hours in a migraine on MailChimp. (laughs) And then thank goodness I found Flowdesk because I figured it out in two hours. But that I think has a lot to do with the way my brain works. I think people who are maybe a little bit more mechanically mind wouldn't have such a problem with some of these other tools. And well, you and I like Flowdesk, it's definitely not perfect and it's a newer platform. So there's some stuff that is still very manual, which if you have more complicated marketing, I wouldn't recommend. But I think those are some of the top players. Yeah, I agree. The other big difference that I do like about Flowdesk is they don't cap you on how many subscribers you can have and they don't change the price. Totally. If you're thinking about it, again, it's another thing I'll put down in the show notes, but Big fan, Megan from my monthly giving program, my mastermind, she switched and she went over to Flowdesk and she loves it. Yeah, we got her. It's so intuitive. It's so beautiful. It's, yeah, it's a good tool. Yeah, people are like, your emails are always so beautiful. And I was like, you could do it too. I'm not a graphic designer. (laughs) Okay, but a point on that, I will also say that I have seen so much improvement. Like, I, Honestly, I cringe at what I was sending four, five, six years ago in my email list with all the graphics and the font that no one can read. And I literally had a reader say, I cannot read this on mobile. And honestly, you will not find me sending an email with barely an image in it. I do mostly text-based emails only. And I have like 45, 50% open rates. I have like above 5% click rates. Like my email is working for me. It's I say it's yeah. the lifeblood of my 
business because I can call it in any time. And I think sometimes like gifts and things are fun to add personality. But if you're sitting here listening to us and you're like, okay, I'm already so overwhelmed with the personalization and the segmentation. Now I got to make it look beautiful. Oh my word. Don't just literally write a text-based email. Like that's it. That's all you need. Think of it like how you would send a note to someone who actually know you're not sticking in a bunch of images and stuff. So like, you don't have to do that either. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm in the middle of testing. In Canva, I created a like templated, my weekly like newsletter that is a bit more designed. And then my other email that goes out is just text. So it's in the process now, we're at the beginning phases of the year of seeing, do I see a big difference in the open rate of any of these? That's going to be more based on the subject line. Mm-hmm. But then click-through rate, if that's important to me, am I seeing a difference in either of these? So to be determined. And always test how it looks on mobile. Like yes. 74% of my list is opening things on their phones. Wow, that's really interesting. Mine's the opposite. Mine's very heavy desktop. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. So test because if you're font is super teeny tiny or you're like making all these colorful things that no one can read because they're holding it in their hand, you want to change that up. We were talking the real real because I do this all the time. I always send myself a test and you might think on your screen that size 15 looks huge. And then when you send it on mobile, it is teeny, teeny, tiny, tiny, tiny. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or it formats weird formats. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like today I was reading an email from someone I really wanted to read and the words were so spread out, like almost cut off on the margins. And it was driving me nuts because I was like missing words, you know? So you also have to make sure that your formatting is spot on. Yes. So I want to dive into something that's also really important with email lists is we want them to grow. (laughs) Yes. We don't want to stay stagnant especially with open rates and find new passionate people that want to be getting our emails from us. So what are recommendations on like growth tips? So this is a question that is to no surprise to know when that nonprofit's ask me all the time. And what I see is a ton of people putting their energy in on social. And I think such low hanging fruit is to convert your social followers to become email subscribers. So the simplest thing to do is just ask. Now, no one is dying to join just another newsletter. So you need to make it a little sexier. Like, I don't know if you have something juicy you're going to drop or it's a new report that you've just produced one thing that Dresember, an organization I know that you love, and I highlighted in my fundraising in the wild email just a couple weeks ago, is they put out this really fantastic blog on why donors should trust them. And since trust is such a tricky thing in our sector, I thought it was just brilliant. And they didn't put it behind like an email capture wall, but you could put something like that behind something. And then I always say the price of admission at a minimum should be an email address. So if you are a nonprofit that runs a school in Nepal and you are going to host a free meditation session, you're charging an email address. If you are a yoga studio that teaches single moms how to do yoga and you're going to provide a free stretch night, 
price of admission is an email address. And it's just little things like that to slowly convert folks over. There's obviously more complicated, maybe that's not the right word, advanced surveys or quizzes or Right. Things to get people to opt into. But I really think just going to your current community and just getting them to your email address is such an easy way. And they say that people who are paying attention to you across channels are your most engaged supporters. So you want someone who's a social follower to be on your email list. And then, you know, hopefully even with a mailing address, that would be the slam. Yes. Down. Yes. Such a great point. So I think. That's huge. Start with DMing people on Instagram. Give them a cool free opportunity. Have a quick sign up. I would also recommend, since this is a heightened conversation around SMS, which I also believe is a trend that nonprofits should be using. I know mm-hmm. you do too. Mm-hmm. While you're getting the email, just ask for the phone number. Make it optional if you want, because some people don't want to put it in, but I still say put it on the form. If you're interested, there's also, I did an episode, it's episode 50. That was on an organization. And speaking of emails, this woman was on my email list, took one of my webinars teaching about lead generation ads. And she's like, hey, you don't know me, but I'm on your email list. And I took this thing and I followed it. And she got 600. It's more than this now because she ran a campaign later on. But 600 new email leads for less than 50 cents using... Facebook and Instagram ads. And they did really great, timely, compelling freebie downloads. Mm, nice. So she themed them around the holidays. It's a children's organization. So one was like a coloring book, something was recipes, like great way to get email. So if you're curious, that was episode 50 and you can get kind of the rundown on how those campaigns netted out. And on the blog, I actually show, she sent me her ads that she ran. So you guys can take a peek. Jess, this has been so helpful. I think I could talk about email marketing with you all day. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, me too. I know we can geek out on all this stuff. And for anyone that's struggling maybe with like, well, what can I offer? I mean, DM me, DM Dana, because I know we're both ideators. And I just think of you're a dog rescue record a session of you teaching a dog how yes. to walk on a leash, but the price of admission is an email address. And you probably have it already. You probably, yes, you probably have it already. But if you're really struggling with something, DM me. I love ideating on these things and I'm happy to brainstorm because you all have something to offer that's a value. And that's a totally acceptable way to grow your list of yep. the right subscribers. Yes, people who are interested in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Love that. So I went ahead into a section called We Must Know. I'm always curious, what are you reading or are there podcasts that you're listening to that are for fun or professional development? Okay, well, I have a giant stack of books to the right of me <laughs> that all want to be read by me <laughs> and they're calling me to read them. The one I'm most excited to read is called Parable of the Sawyer from Octavia E. Butler. And if you're kind of into Handmaid's Tale, I've been yes. told that this is like a that kind of dystopian Ooh, type okay. of story, which I love. Fun fact about me, I only love like the intense, hard, <laughs> like, to stomach type of stories. Like there's no romantic comedies in Jess Campbell's (laughs) life for podcasts. So 
I am not his ideal audience at all, but I love listening to him and I learn something every time. His name is Professor Galloway. He has a podcast called Prof G, the Prof G podcast. His name's Scott Galloway and he is a former business person turned NYU professor at Stern, their business school. And he's just a really smart marketing guy. And he talks about tech. He talks about politics. He talks about a lot of interesting things. And he also is an author of a lot of books. He has one called The Algebra of Happiness. And he really speaks to people, I would say, of all ages, but especially 40 and under. And I am that, but I think his target demographic is more of a dude, which I am not. And I just, like, I learned something every single time. He's funny, but like smart. And it's just something I don't normally, I'm like a very proud supporter of all women and podcasts. And so for me to listen to a white dude is rare (laughs) and he's really good. And I learned something, like I said, every time. And so if you're kind of interested in tech, politics, business, marketing, that might be one that's not on your radar. Very cool. We will mark both of those down in the show notes to take a peek at. So thank you. And then to wrap up, I always like to ask, what is one thing that you would like to ask for help or support on from listeners? Ooh, I would love to know what you want to know about email. Like of Mm. all the things that we just spoke about, if you want to DM me and say, you know, that all sounds fine and dandy, but I'm really feeling stuck on this one thing. Let me know because I think both Dana and I would agree that our jobs are to make your marketing and fundraising life easier. And sometimes you don't know what you don't ask for and we're not mind readers. So any insights or information that you can tell us when it comes to email that feels really hard, I would love to know so we can help problem solve around that. Yes. And where should people be DMing you? Okay. So as much as I wish I was like all up in LinkedIn, I like hanging out on Instagram or even TikTok. (laughs) I know. I know. I'm just. I don't know if I'll ever be quite professional enough for LinkedIn. And that's okay. That's totally fine because it's only getting worse now that I'm over on TikTok. So I'm at out in the boons underscore on Instagram or just out at in the boons on TikTok. And I'm just Jess Campbell on LinkedIn. Boom. I love it. All right, everyone. I know you just ravenously wrote a bunch of notes down and you're going to go change your entire email marketing strategy. (laughs) Good luck. Good luck. You can do it. We bet. But yeah, for real, if you have any questions, Jess is amazing at getting back to people in DMs. And so please don't be afraid to reach out to either one of us. And I'm happy to connect you with her. But Jess, thank you so much for your wisdom and your advice and all that you do for the nonprofit sector. Thanks for having me. Can you tell I love talking all things digital? To make this show better, I'd be so grateful for your feedback. Leave a review take a screenshot of this episode, share it on Instagram stories and tag positive equation with one E so I can reshare and connect with you.